Well, it is great to be back at Maranatha Baptist Church. We love this church. We pray for you. We love your pastors, the pastoral staff, and are so thankful for them. And uh, we watch you every week on live stream. And you might say, some of you who are newer, why aren't you going to church? We do. Our church is at 2 o'clock in the afternoon because we rent a, we rent a Presbyterian church. And uh, I'm, we're missing a baptism there. We have to set up a pool in the gym and have the baptism there. And the last time we were in the baptism, our pastor said, how ironic is this? We're immersing in a Presbyterian church. But uh, we're blessing that Presbyterian church with our Baptist distinctive of baptism by immersion. So we do watch you regularly uh, and uh, have to tell a, a quick story. One week, uh, Jackie Rowe was waving at the camera, and I texted Tom and said, tell Jackie I said hi. And he rudely had to remind me or tell me, uh, he's, she's not waving at you, she's waving at her brother David watching from Vietnam. <laughs> also, just wanted to share, uh, I'm excited about the plans that uh, Pastor Joey has been laying out here in your family chats. And that's something that our church practices and has done very well and very thankful for that uh, and those ideas and uh, pastoral leadership. Just wanted to share my thoughts on that. And one other probably insignificant thing since we saw you last in December, Michigan won the national championship. And... Uh, I had to leave Michigan for that to happen, I guess, but uh, very happy that that happened. And the, the night of the game, national championship game, we invited our neighbors who go to our church down. They have six kids, and uh, we were all celebrating and cheering on the Wolverines to their great victory. They also came for the Ohio State game and helped us win that game also. But... Uh, after the game, there are six kids. Uh, we have, I have a Michigan flag that I plant in our front yard. They're in Maryland to show our support for Michigan. And we're all running up and down the street at 11 o'clock at night. And there are six kids with uh, towels that have Michigan logos on it and blankets and also the Michigan flag to let the neighbors know that we won the national championship. Such is life, that's mundane compared to God's holy word that we want to look at now for a few moments. If you open your Bibles to John chapter 12, John chapter 12, this will be our study this morning. I have to get used to saying this morning when I have preached at our church, I have to get used to saying this afternoon at Baltimore Bible Church. I think we all enjoy getting gifts, receiving gifts, sharing gifts with those that we love. And on one special occasion, I remember I was driving down Dixie Highway in Waterford and went into Discount Roses. And I thought, you know what? Just for love's sake, I'm going to buy my wife a dozen roses. And I walk in and there's a teenage guy at the counter. And I said, you know, can you pick out the best roses that you have that I want to get my wife. And he turned to me, he said, man, you must be in big trouble right now. <laughs> I said, no, I'm just doing it because 
I love her and I want to share that love. There's, it wasn't Valentine's Day. It wasn't our anniversary. It wasn't her birthday. Just because. I did go to Discount Roses, though. <laughs> that in no way, though, compares to the gifts and opportunities that we have to show our love to the Lord Jesus Christ, to God for his gracious gift in our lives. And we find in John chapter 12, perhaps a familiar narrative in this gospel account of Mary demonstrating deep love, devotion, and worship to God. There are parallel accounts, by the way, of this account that we're going to read in both Matthew chapter 26 and Mark chapter 14. Well, we're going to look at John's account here in John chapter 12. We'll read together verses 1 through 11. Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus raised from the dead. So they gave him a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at the table. Mary, therefore, took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, he who was about to betray him, said, Why was this anointment not sold for 300 denarii? And given to the poor. He said this, not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Jesus said, leave her alone, so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you always have with you, but you do not always have me. When the large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well. Because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. Let's bow for a word of prayer. Lord, we beseech you, as Almighty God, King of Kings, Lord of Lords, you are worthy of all the praise and honor that we can give you. But so often, our focus is self-centered. We worship the things of this world, and we're reminded that we cannot love God in mammon. We need to have single devotion to you. Thank you for the example of Mary in this passage of pure love and devotion and worship and awe of the Holy One. And may we likewise demonstrate that in our love. And may we examine our own hearts in light of this text today. In Jesus' name, amen. The context of this passage is chapter 11, very familiar raising of Lazarus from the dead. Very significant miracle that took place. In chapter 11, verse 45, we read that many of the Jews believed in him. 
Then in chapter 11, verse 48, we read that the chief priests and the Pharisees said, if we let him go on like this, all men will believe in him. And so as a result of this, Jesus was a hunted man. And we read in other texts that he had to go to Ephraim to a remote place for a little while. And then he came back to Bethany, as we see in our text, which is two miles to the east of Jerusalem. And verses 1 and 2 give us a little more background to this account, telling us it was six days before the Passover. And at the Passover season, there would be thousands of Jews that would be streaming into Jerusalem. Just a host of people gathering there. And we see in this text that Jesus came to visit cherished friends, Martha, Mary, and Lazarus. There they gave a dinner for Jesus. And John's account doesn't tell us this, but in Matthew and Mark's account, we read that it was at the home of Simon the leper. Simon the leper, and really Simon the former leper, because if he remained a leper, they wouldn't be there. So perhaps, and we're not told in any of the accounts, but most likely Jesus healed Simon the leper. And he's opening his home, hosting Jesus Christ. It must have been a large enough home to host not only Jesus Christ, but all the disciples, as well as Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, where they were reclining to eat. So two people in this passage experienced wonderful miracles by Jesus Christ. One was an ex-leper, and the other was an ex-dead man. Remarkable miracles of God, demonstrating his deity throughout Scripture, that he truly indeed is God. To those who were skeptical, those who didn't understand, they certainly could not deny what he had done, that he is truly the Son of God. In verse 2, we notice Martha served. Two words. Interesting that there's no problem in this occasion because many of you might recount in Luke chapter 10, she complained when she was doing all the serving while Mary was sitting at Jesus' feet. And that's the famous passage that many of us might be able to quote when he said, Martha, Martha, you are anxious about many things. Reminding her that what Mary was doing was very significant, but now in this passage, she is still serving. And there are roles for all of us. Some are up front and are, are serving, and others are behind the scenes. Uh, but we all need to fulfill our roles, whatever God has given us, within the body of believers in the local church. And so it's here that we read in this text, in the next few verses, and our focus will be on verses 3 through 8 what I want to call Mary's extravagant worship and learn more what extravagant worship looks like and how we ought to be worshiping God. We're reminded in John 4, 24, God is a spirit. They who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And let me begin by saying worship is hard. Worship doesn't come naturally. We have to work at worship in honoring and glorifying the Lord. So there's four points that we like to suggest from this passage 
that tell us more, explain more what worship, authentic worship ought to look like. And first is extravagant worship is sacrificial. We notice that in verse 3. It is sacrificial. Notice verse 3 once again. Mary, therefore, took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus, wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. So Mary takes a pound of some very expensive ointment, oil, slash perfume called pure nard here. And all three accounts, Matthew, Mark, and John, speak about the fact that it was very costly. Uh, it was about the size of a Roman pound, which would be the size of about a 12-ounce pop can. And I forgot when I preached this in Baltimore, they don't call it pop, it's soda can. But in Michigan, we say pop can, so I think you know what I'm talking about. So that's the size of the container in an alabaster jar. This nard was a flowering plant from India. So it came a long ways, imported from long distance, made from the root of a plant that had a, a great perfume-like oil, like, uh, like an essential oil, I guess, coming all the way from India, very expensive. Verse 5 tells us how costly it is, that it was worth 300 denarii. Now, mind you, think about this. One denarii was one day's wage for the average worker in that day. We're talking about almost a year's wages. If you take all their Sabbath days off, we're talking about a year's wage. This is what she is extravagantly sacrificing to Jesus Christ. What was worth would take a whole year to buy. <laughs> Now, I don't know about you, I don't think I'd buy perfume or oil to have in my house that would be that expensive. I go to Discount Roses, by the way. So. <laughs> but it was very extravagant. We don't know how she got it, why they had that. But what we see in the text is that Mary held nothing back. It was a costly treasure reserved for somebody very special, the Lord Jesus Christ, who was about to sacrifice his life on a cross for her sins and the sins of the world. For Mary and for you and I, brothers and sisters, there is no measuring the value of Jesus Christ, is there? Of the supreme sacrifice that he has made for us. We can't calculate the cost of love, how inexpressibly wonderful our Savior is for us. And Mary gave very sacrificially. Imagine, again, giving a gift that cost you a year's wages. We are told, though, in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, that we are to give our lives as a living sacrifice. Holy, acceptable unto God. Give ourselves before the Lord as daily in devotion sacrificing for the cause of God. Or in our worship and giving, giving of our offerings to the Lord, we're reminded in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7, that we should give as we purpose in our heart. Not grudgingly, not under compulsion, 
For God loves a cheerful giver. We should give proportionally. We should give as God blesses us because God owns everything and what we have is just ours to give back in stewardship. Frances Haberdale, may not recognize her name, wrote the song that is in our hymn book, Take My Life and Let It Be. Some of the words go this way, take my life and let it be. Consecrate a Lord to thee. Let them flow in ceaseless praise. Four years after she wrote that hymn, she was convicted by the poem that she wrote because she recognized she had things that she could still give to the Lord. She had much jewelry, and she decided to give that to the Lord's ministry. And when she gave that away, she said, I don't think I ever packed a box with such pleasure to give to the Lord's ministry. She added a verse to that hymn. Take my silver and my gold, not a mite would I withhold. Our giving, our worship should be sacrificial. But number two, extravagant worship is also adoring. Notice also in verse three, Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus, wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Matthew and Mark's account tell us she took an alabaster jar, broke it, and anointed his head. That was the normal hospitality, not with such expensive perfume or oil, but taking some type of means of anointing the head of those who had come. But John's account, the one that we read, not only did she do that to his head, but to his feet, anointing his feet. She stooped down and with selfless devotion wiped his feet with her hair after she did that. This, my friend, was an act of supreme adoration, an act of supreme humility. Her heart was overcome with such love and gratitude that she would do such a thing. It was love without restraint. It was adoring love, not only sacrificial with the cost of this perfume, but the way she demonstrated that upon the Lord Jesus Christ. By anointing his feet, I believe she was demonstrating who Jesus was. He was worthy of her worship. She was totally unaware of herself as she's doing this because normally a Jewish woman would not let her hair fall down in long flowing fashion as that. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 15 calls a woman's hair her glory. And what did Mary do? She used her glory as a servant's towel to wipe the feet of Jesus Christ. It was a deep act of devotion and adoration. The psalmist reminds us, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Psalm 41, 42 verse 1 says, As the deer pants for the waters, so my heart pants for you, O God. Is our heartbeat, is our panting, our desire for the Lord? True worship, authentic worship, comes from an overflow of gratitude, of thanksgiving for God. 
I'm sure you've watched along with me at various occasions, whether it's in real time or whether it's watching on TV, how adoring fans surround politicians or athletes, superstars, musicians, whatever it might be. And yeah, I've done a little bit of that. I, I got all my kids when they were preschoolers and we trooped down to Lincoln Park, Michigan and uh, there was a shopping center at that time where Ronald Reagan came for his re-election campaign. We stood in the rain just so we could be there and see Ronald Reagan and cheer him on. And there was one time I was at a meeting and I shook Dan Quayle's hand. I didn't want to wash that hand. He was the vice president of the United States. So we can be adoring fans of all kinds of people. And sometimes it is really comical to watch people how they go gaga over somebody. It's just crazy how they adore people. They can't contain themselves lunging towards these superstars. Are we adoring our Savior, Jesus Christ? Do we love him with all our heart, soul, and might? Are we pouring out our hearts in adoration before him? Mary took extreme measures to show her love. In the scripture reading this morning, it was not a parallel account, a totally different account of a prostitute coming before Jesus Christ, who anointed his feet with perfume. She washed his feet with her tears, and she also wiped his feet with her hair and kissed and anointed them. What a contrast in that passage between a very proud, egotistical Pharisee and this repentant woman. And Jesus told her, your faith has saved you. And that Pharisee was left destitute in his sins, in his arrogance, in his pride, in his works-based salvation. We also read at the end of verse 3 that the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. It was filled with the aroma of what she was doing, what she was lavishly worshiping and demonstrating to the Lord Jesus Christ. There are times, if you've had teenage boys after they've been playing basketball outside and come in the house and moms have said, oh man, you guys stink, get in the shower or take off those dirty socks. A number of years ago when Sue's mom was still living, we were in Melvindale, Michigan, and her mom sent me on a mission to go to take some clothes to the cleaners, and it was right next to White Castle. <laughs> it was 3 o'clock in the afternoon. It was between lunch and dinner, but I, I have to go and get a few sliders. So I did, and I munched them on the way back, and they were all gone by the time I got in the house. And I walked into the kitchen, and my wife said, you've been to White Castle. <laughs> How did you know that? I can smell it. And to her, it stinks. To me, those grease burgers are delicious. This was a different kind of aroma. A perfume, a beautiful display of affection and love and devotion that also smelled, filled the house. May we spread the fragrant aroma of our worship of Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14 says this, But thanks be to God, who always leads us in triumph in Christ, 
and manifest through us the sweet aroma of the knowledge of him in every place. Verse 15 goes on to say, For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved. Are we having an aromatic influence spiritually? That people can sense by our presence, our love, our devotion for the Lord Jesus Christ that our testimony is so clear that we are letting our light shine before men, that they see our good works and glorify not us, but our Father, which is in heaven. I love how these songs sum up, the greatest gift is Jesus Christ, our Savior. Or the song that says, love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. Thirdly, extravagant worship is, I believe, sincere. It is sacrificial, it is adoring, and it is sincere. Notice verse 4. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, he who was about to betray him, said, Why was this anointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Interestingly, verse 5 gives us the very first recorded words of Judas in Scripture. Why was this anointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? That's Judas' first statement in Scripture. Matthew and Mark's account say yeah, the other disciples were joining in, like, yeah. Yeah, come on. Why are you doing this? So it wasn't just Judas. And contrast these two people. Mary and Judas. Mary giving extravagantly. She's giving sacrificially. She is giving adoringly and she's doing it in true sincerity. How about Judas? Judas was a fake. He was a fraud. He was one of the followers of Jesus Christ. He heard him daily, saw the miracles, and yet he turned on Jesus Christ. At first, Judas sounds very spiritual. Oh, what about the poor? He complained that this was very expensive, yet it was Judas who just a few days later would sell Jesus for 30 pieces of silver, or about Three months' wages selling the Lord Jesus Christ. He was not really concerned. He was not sincere. He wasn't concerned about the poor. John reveals us to us in this text that he had a heart full of greed. He was a thief. He was an embezzler. And that was the motive for making this kind of statement. He had been the treasurer. Was, had the responsibility of taking care of the money for the disciples. But just think about the two, Judas and Mary. What a contrast. Hers was full of sincerity and truth. Judas was so insincere. And we have to be careful in our worship. It is easy to 
display and exude, whether it's in our singing and our worship, for man's sake, instead of doing it for the Lord. Is it hypocritical or is it heartfelt? In Matthew chapter 15, verse 7, we read Jesus condemning the Pharisees. He said, you hypocrites, rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain they do worship me, teaching as doctrines the precepts of men. My friend, we have to be very careful that our worship is sincere, that it is heartfelt, that it is genuine. It is so easy, again, to get caught up in it. And I'm reminded of a text we were just teaching children's church last week at our church, and the previous study was about King David being anointed. He wasn't king yet. And a warning was given in 1 Samuel 16, 7. Man looks on what? The outward appearance, but God looks on what? And we have to be careful as Bible-believing Christians about our appearance, our looks, our actions, just to be seen by people. Where is our heart? Is there a genuine heart of worship and adoration? We should be concerned about where our heart is. And then lastly, number four. I believe extravagant worship is sacrificial. It is adoring, it is sincere. And number four, it is thoughtful. What Mary was doing was very thoughtful. Notice verses 7 and 8. Jesus said, leave her alone so that she may keep it. For the day of my burial, for the poor you always have with me, you always have with you, but you will not always have me. Jesus intercedes right away in behalf of Mary to Judas and the other disciples that are ganging up against her and reminding them that she was doing this very thoughtfully in preparation, as the text says, for her, his burial, the day of my burial, the text says. Mary seemed to understand something the disciples did not even get at that point. Because we see in the gospel accounts, when Jesus was crucified, they're scattered. They're running for their lives. They're cowards. One betrayed Jesus Christ. One denied the Lord Jesus Christ. But Mary heard the words of Jesus repetitively saying, I'm about to die and destroy this temple in three days and it will rise up again. She was doing it for his burial. This was a kind of ointment and perfume that was given to kings for their burial. Very expensive ointment and perfume for the greatest kings on the earth. And she was anointing the head that would bear the crown of thorns. She was anointing the feet that would have nails driven into it. It was truly thoughtful, sincere, adoring, and sacrificial love. Now, my friend, we have to remember, as we gather to worship, why are we worshiping? Who are we worshiping? Recognizing the sacrifice that Jesus did for us. He died for your sins, my sins. 
We need to remember, as one of our wonderful hymns says, Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin has left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. Or as Isaiah the prophet reminds us, surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. But the Lord has laid on him, the Lord Jesus Christ, the iniquity of us all. As we gather at the Lord's table, as we gather to worship on the Lord's day, as we worship in our private time at home and our scripture reading and prayer, is our worship thoughtful? My friend, we were destined for hell. The eternal lake of fire. Do I need to remind us? Yes, I do. I need to remind me. I was going to hell. And burning fire and brimstone. Jesus set us free by his blood. We are washed and cleansed of our sins. We've been pardoned of our sins. ever think about, have this thought this morning, it seems like randomly whenever a president is about to retire, he pardons a bunch of people on his last day. Am I right? Doesn't that happen often? Doesn't matter who the president is. People that are in prison for years. I've often wondered, what's the response of those pardoned people to the president? free. That in no way compares. We are free from our sin by the blood of Jesus Christ. Are we rejoicing? Are we thoughtful as we gather together to worship? One closing thought here on this point because I want to mention verse 8 because it can seem insensitive on Jesus' part at first glance in verse 8 when he says, For the poor you always have with you, but you do not always have me. Jesus was not insensitive. First, as we already acknowledged, Judas is a thief. He's greedy. He wants this money for himself. He didn't want it for the poor. Jesus knew his heart. But then Jesus says, You will not always have me. Yeah, he was saying, you will have plenty of opportunities. There will be opportunities to give to the poor, to help the poor, to intercede for the poor. And let us not forget, where was Jesus' main ministry? To the poor, to the outcasts, to the prostitutes, the tax collectors, the sinners, people nobody wanted to be around, the lepers. That's whom Jesus ministered to. So Jesus is not insensitive. What was important was for Mary to seize the opportunity to show her deep love, her extravagant love and devotion. In fact, in Mark's account, listen to this, it's not recorded in John. Mark 14, 9 of the same account of this says, Truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will be spoken of memory of her. What she has done will be memorialized forever. And it is because it's in the Bible for every generation to read and learn about. My friend, I don't know about you, I'm convicted 
by this passage. I know too many times I just go through the motions. Oh, I know this song. I know we stand here. We sit here. It's just so easy to be thinking about, okay, what are we going to have for dinner? What restaurant are we going to go to? Planning the schedule for the rest of the week and not even thinking. So what hinders true worship? What causes us just to go through these motions? And, and let me put it this way. Worship is hard. Worship isn't easy because we want to be worshipped. We want the glory. We want the devotion. Worship is not easy. It's not easy for Glenn Curry. Even in my age time, I didn't know my birthday was, or my age was in the bulletin. In closing, I'd like to share three hindrances to worship. Go through these quickly. No, my time's almost up. Our church pastor preaches for 55 minutes, so I'm still way under that. Number one, sin hinders our worship. Isaiah 59, 2. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. Sin will keep us from authentic worship. What do we do? Confess our sins. We have a quiet time at the beginning of our service and your service. As we're driving to church, prepare our hearts. And as Hebrews warns us, do not harden your hearts as Israel did in the wilderness. Have hearts of confession. Sin keeps us from authentic worship. Number two, I think short memories. Short memories. What do I mean by that? Well, a passage in Isaiah comes to mind. As Isaiah opens up his book in chapter 1, verses 2 and 3, he says, Listen, O heavens, hear, O earth, for the Lord speaks. Sons I've reared and brought up, but they have revolted against me. An ox knows its owner, a donkey its master's manager, but Israel does not know. My people do not understand. What is he bemoaning? Isaiah is saying to a people that are about to be judged, a people that are going to fall into deep sin and iniquity. What happened to my people? I brought them out of the land of Egypt as slaves. I brought all those plagues to demonstrate my power. Pharaoh and his armies died in the river. I conquered Israel, Jericho and Ai and the other cities. I showed my power to them. Israel doesn't know. An ox honors its master than, better than you have, Isaiah is telling Israel. What about you and I? Do we have short memories? Have we forgotten the blessings of our salvation, our sanctification? And thirdly, self-centeredness. So sin, short memories, and self-centeredness. Because, unfortunately, the disciples did not get it either. Because shortly after they observed the Lord's Supper, the Lord's Supper with Jesus Christ, we read in Luke chapter 22, the disciples were in a dispute about who would be the greatest in the kingdom? Huh? 
the Lord's Supper. He's about to die on the cross, and they're arguing who's going to be the greatest. It wasn't just that. In Matthew chapter 20, the mother, the sons of Zebedee, James and John, asked who could sit on the right hand of Jesus, and the other could sit on the other side. What were they thinking? Selfishness. Self-centeredness. A life spent in selfless devotion to Jesus Christ, my friend, will never be wasted. But a life that is devoted to self, selfishness, will be totally wasted. Perhaps this morning your heart is empty. You're running on fumes. You're barely showing life and love and devotion. Remember the gospel that was very clear in the previous chapter. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And Jesus said, do you believe this? And my friend, do you believe that? He is truly the resurrection and the life. Mary's worship was extravagant and a great example for all of us. As we're reminded in the passage, thanks be to God for his unspeakable gift. It is indescribable. Our greater love has no man than this, than a man lay down his life for his friends. Jesus laid down his life, not for friends, but for sinners. Sinners who have rebelled against him. We have indeed experienced the sweet aroma of God's grace. May our worship be a sweet aroma back to the Holy One of God. And our love, our devotion, our sacrifice, our sincerity that we may give to the Lord. John Piper made this statement. He said, it is a beautiful thing when the worth of Jesus and the love of his followers match. When the value of his perfections and the intensity of our affections correspond. I have a long way to go. How about you? Let our worship and affection for the Lord Jesus Christ be lavish, just as Mary lavished it on Jesus Christ. Shall we bow in prayer? Father, we thank you for this text that is convicting. We are amazed at your extreme love that you would have for us, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And we've been pardoned, we've been forgiven, we've been freed. And thank you for that blessed gift of love. We pray that our friends here gathered for worship today would sincerely look in their own hearts and lives, confessing sin, selfishness, or forgetfulness of biblical truths. If there's one here that's not truly born again, we pray that today would be the day that one comes to full repentance and faith in Jesus Christ alone. In Jesus' name, amen.